Welcome to From the Booth, a podcast where we talk about the films playing at BYU's International Cinema. We are now in week 11 of our fall 2020 podcast. My name is Marila Oskerson, Assistant Director of International Cinema, and I'm joined here today by Valérie Ekstrom, Professor in the Spanish and Portuguese Department at BYU. Welcome, Valérie. Thank you. It's good to be here. Good to have you. And Doug Weatherford, International Cinema Co-Director. Welcome again, Doug. Thank you. It's good to be back. So week 11 of 13, we are winding down the semester. This week, we're sharing three films about women's experiences of war in different parts of the world. A documentary, The Cave. This documentary is about a doctor, Amani Balour, who bravely manages a hospital in the Syrian city of Al Ghouta, a city under siege and regularly bombarded. Two feature films, Zena by Antonetta Castrati about the Kosovo War of 1998-1999, and Papicha, an Algerian film by Munya Medour about the civil war in Algeria in the 90s when uh, Islamic groups were trying to get power. So here is our podcast for week 11. These films, and we're going to focus on the cave, but touch on Zena and Papicha as well. We see women's rights being oppressed by different systems, um, government, religious groups, patriarchal system. What are some of the things that you got out of your screening this week? Well, in, in terms of the cave, I felt that there were a lot of scenes that really, they were actually shocking in a first watch of the film because of the amount of work that Dr. Amani, a woman doctor who was the director of this underground hospital in, in Al Ghouta, they had to actually go underground into tunnels to be able to take care of and treat the patients, you know, as their city was being bombed, as it, as it was being attacked by, by chemical warfare. And she was doing, she was working in these really oppressive circumstances. I mean, in, in these really horrifying circumstances to try, she was a pediatrician, but who had been elected by a small cohort of doctors to, to, to direct the, the hospital. And they're trying to take care of these patients. And, and she's doing her level best to do that. And her colleagues are doing their level best to work in these awful circumstances. And one of the very early scenes of the, of the film, there's a man who comes into the hospital and he's obviously frustrated and he's obviously concerned about his wife who has a, been given a prescription that he wants to talk to the director of the hospital. And so she says, I'm the director of the hospital. And he says, I can't get my prescription filled. And she says, you know, we're living in these horrible circumstances. And he says, I need to talk to a director who is male. And it's sort of this shocking moment in the film, at least it was for me, because it was so in her face. And he continued to complain about her being a woman working outside the home, a woman who, had, who was not uh, married and didn't have children and who wasn't staying home with her husband and children. And he continued to attack her. I mean, on the one hand, he was frustrated about his situation and his wife's situation, but the circumstances were so awful. And it was, it's so clear in the film that she's working so hard to make things better. But because she's a woman, he can't see the contributions that she's making. And so for me, that was sort of the beginning scene in the film that really underscored that kind of struggle in the film. 
And we find that struggle ongoing in this documentary. We see her visit moms, young mothers of many children who are malnourished. We find out that there's only three blankets for the cold weather. And when she asked this woman, would you take a job if I offered you one? The woman said the men would not allow me to. And so constantly we're reminded that this is a society where women are expected to stay home and to raise children. And even in dire situations when they could make their lives better and improve the quality of life of their children, they are not allowed. So it's, it's pretty, there's a hopelessness about the system. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a fear in the system, clearly. I mean, one of the, another sort of early scene in the film, we see her, uh, Dr. Amani, listening to her father on a voicemail message and the father on, on her cell phone. And the father is clearly worried about her. I mean, he's very concerned, but he couches that, that worry and that concern in all kinds of rhetoric that might, that, that's related to the patriarchal system that they're working in. And that might be sort of destructive to Dr. Armani's self-confidence and uh, destructive to, you know, the positive things that she's doing. He talks about what the neighbors think about her working in this hospital in these dire circumstances. And, and apparently the, the neighbors are gossiping about the family for allowing this woman to do this thing. And, and then he also talks to her about the way that war can use women as tools, which I think mm -hmm. is coded, coded language to talk about the fear that he has that she might become a victim of sexual assault as a result of the circumstances that she's working in. So I think there's just several scenes in the movie that underscore those kinds of issues. There is, there is, I've seen some hope. I've seen some hope in this film amidst the war and the horror of the war and the, the daily fight for survival. I saw this desire to, to survive, even though it was underground, because life is underground. Death is on the surface. Many times I see those doctors and nurses engaging with the children and consciously having to smile for the children because they are scared inside. There's planes dropping bombs and they want to keep smiling because they want to give that, that hope to the, to the children that things can get better. There's a conversation with a, a young girl where the girl is, is so scared and Dr. Amani is talking to her and asking her what she wants to do when she grows up. And um, she tells her, you know, we leave so we can become something important yeah. and we don't want to be ordinary. We have to be something important. So there is that desire inside that feels like a motor, an, uh, an energy to keep them going. They are saving lives. Their job is, is essential. And as a woman, the documentary is, is focusing on her for a reason, showing that women are capable, women are trained and women are doing a good job in dire situations. Absolutely. I think that even that even comes into play when she when they're leaving the home that you talked about before where the children only had three blankets to share and she's really upset about the way that that the men in that particular family and in the culture in general might be misinterpreting their religious beliefs. And she makes the statement to the other women in the car, the other women doctors in the car, while they're returning to the hospital, she says, they have to understand women can contribute. 
And I think that's related to what you're saying, Mighty Lord. You know, one of the things that that I really enjoyed about this film was the sense of resilience of this female doctor and director of this hospital. The the film, as it creates its images, frequently suggests that this is a landscape, a bombed out landscape in which people cannot live. Right? Sometimes we have drone shots from above that show a landscape that's just uh, that's elacious, and then all of a sudden we realize that there are people living here. And when you think that uh, that these individuals could just simply give up, right, whether it's because it's in the face of war or in the face of uh, struggle or in the face of this patriarchal oppression that you uh, two are talking about, these are individuals that don't give up. They keep going. And that resilience, I think, is, is one of the beautiful things of this film, that I, 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 struggle. I agree. And I think we see that within the hospital as well. There's They, for example, at one moment in the hospital, have a birthday party for Dr. Amani. And they they have very few supplies, but they do have hospital gloves, right? And, and they blow up gloves and paint on them to be balloons at the party. They share popcorn with each other because there's no cake to be had. But they have a party where they celebrate her birthday and they celebrate her. And I think that there are several moments in the film where you see those moments of human interaction that are not oppressive and that are where they're supporting one another and where there's a camaraderie, a camaraderie among the women doctors, but real support from the male doctors in the group as well. They're constantly going out to look for food to bring back to cook in the hospital, to share and eat with each other. And I think those are real moments of, um, of that kind of belief in something better. And that unity actually is very important because we see that resilience that you were talking about. I see it very much like it's a, it's a teamwork. They are really together making something something amazing. And in that film, in that documentary, it really showed the importance of, of this community and how they are helping each other. We see this as well in Papicha, the film from Algeria playing this week as well. We see that there's such a community present between the women of the film. These women are very young. They're students and they keep fighting. The escalation to violence is not quite yet in the society. We see signs of abuse of power and especially they're trying to control the women's bodies by covering them and as well how they can move in the city. But we see that these girls are standing together and it's their strength. It's, it's coming from making this fashion show and it, it will happen at all costs, right? But, but there's a resilience that's missing in Zena. And maybe this is um, a question that I, I would ask our students or people watching our films today. What's the difference between Zena from Kosovo and Papicha and the cave? There is a lack of support of the main character, Lume, in Zena that is obvious. She does not have that community. She's rejected by her parents because she married the wrong man. She's not supported by her mother-in-law, who only sees her as the potential mother of her grandchildren. Uh, same with her husband. And she is very much alone and cannot process the trauma of her life in a healthy way. So I just want to see the themes in, in the films that we're playing this week and, and realize that that resilience is not present when people are lacking the support of their immediate community and families. 
And I might uh, bring in another film as well that we showed uh, recently, and that's The Milk of Sorrow by Claudia Llosa from Peru that could have shown in this series as well. It's about uh, women in war, or at least the trauma experience from the violence of a previous war. And that movie is, is one of my favorites and, uh, and has a character that as well struggles to come to terms with the violence that she and her mother have experienced. But ultimately, the film has a, an optimistic turn in which you imagine that wholeness is possible. I really liked uh, Zena quite a bit, um, but it's a, it has a very different tone, like you suggest, that somehow this is a woman whose exposure to violence and the loss of a loved one, of her daughter, is not going to allow her to move forward in a positive fashion. But all of these films are amazing to watch, and they, they really have strong female characters and female voices that I think our listeners will really enjoy. Thank you, Doug. Absolutely. At some point, Dr. Amani says that humanity is destroyed in front of her. And there is the theme of witnessing in this documentary, a very strong a theme. What are some of your thoughts about this witnessing of the humanity that is destroyed in front of her eyes? Well, one of the things that I think we that it's not explicit in the film until near the end of the film, when I think even in the credits, it suggests that 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 the film is based on the diaries or the or the journals, sorry, the medical journals of Dr. Amani, because it is a, a documentary film about her experiences working in this hospital. And apparently she kept multiple carefully documented journals of all of their experiences in the hospital during the six years that she was there underground working in that hospital. And those journals became her witness of what happened in those circumstances. And so at the opening of the film, and then a couple of times in very small chunks during the film, and then at the end, one of the things that I think is interesting about the film in terms of the choices that were made um, in the production of the film and post-production is that they don't do a kind of narrative voiceover from the outside. They occasionally run some words in the film that explain the war at the beginning and the end, but there's a voiceover that is supposed to be Dr. Amani. And, and when I realized that this was based on her journals, I think my interpretation of this, and I think I'm right, is that there's a voiceover that's reading passages from her journal at the beginning and then at the end of the film. And they're very poetic passages of her journal. And she talks, she says, as a doctor, I have witnessed so many tragedies. No one can imagine the things we've seen. And then toward the end, I'm afraid to open my eyes. I'm afraid that what I saw will haunt me forever. And then near the end, and this is a hopeful thing, she says, I want to open my eyes and see the light far away. And so I think I think there there is that sense that that it might get better that it might get better at the end but the documentary is seen through her eyes more than any other character and I think it's based on these her her witness that she left in these medical journals. Absolutely, yes. 
what she sees, what she writes, what she does. And that documentary itself is, is a witness to the reality of war that, that the authorities are trying to mask, actually. Yeah. So the importance of, of making this documentary, the importance of having people see this documentary. I was listening to an interview with the filmmaker, Ferha Fayad, and the journalist was asking him, what do you hope people will get from this? And he said, I hope that they will call their or write their representatives and that countries will act together to protect the civilians in Syria. So this documentary is definitely a testimony of what what happens in Syria. There's the truth that's seen here and, and it, it does stand as a as a powerful testimony of this. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. What are some of the complexities of the sociopolitical context um, that are the background in both films? You know, one of the things that I really enjoyed about these films is that uh, they begged me to do some research on the uh, sociohistorical context that are the background. So, for example, with the cave, of course, we have the uh, Syrian civil war. And with uh, Zaina, we have the Kosovo war or the Balkan wars from 1999 and around that uh, time period. And they're very complex. I, I mean, I couldn't uh, just tell you exactly what was going on in both of those situations. They're, they're difficult to understand. But one of the things that I felt was true about both of these films was that uh, they weren't necessarily trying to tell a complex story. They were trying to make a complex reality simple by focusing in on human and humane stories, right? So both of these films let us know the tragedy of war and the suffering that exists in the moment or also in the long term, right? For Zaina, the action of the film takes place 10, 10 years after the fact. But both of these films are really about that sense that that political, geopolitical conflicts have real consequences and that people suffer and that tragedy is something that scars. And I really like that about both of these films. I would encourage people to learn more about the uh, more complex nature of what's going on. But as you watch the films, really key in on the fact that we're seeing suffering from a very human level from a very individual level. And I think that's a, the power of both of these films. One of the things that the cave does that is really aesthetically beautiful, I think, at the beginning of the film is that for quite a few seconds, we sort of see an overview of the city and the city is bombed out, but it's, it's hard to recognize that it's completely bombed out you know, at a distance when you're seeing the entire city of Alguta. And it is peaceful and it's quiet. And then suddenly a bomb drops on the city and then multiple, I guess, missiles hit the city and it's shocking. It's really a shocking thing. And then the movie pans down to underground, the camera pans down to, you know, and goes down the levels from the city down underground and brings us into the cave where they are treating sick people, injured people, people who are, you know, suffering from malnutrition and all kinds of other things. And I think it goes from that broader picture of the entire city 
down to the sort of individual story level. Now we're going to learn about the doctors and the individual children and and other people who are being treated and who are suffering because of, uh, you know, of what's happening at this bigger level of the war overhead. Yeah, and I think that um, the aesthetic quality of both films is really important, that they're telling real stories that are really ugly but they choose to do so occasionally through a formalist or an aesthetic quality that allows us as well to contrast the beauty with the with the ugliness. And it almost made me think of Schindler's List. Uh, and in one moment, while the Nazi soldiers are emptying out the, the the village, the city where all of the Polish Jews live, somebody sits down, a, a German soldier sits down to play the piano. And uh, two of his comrades start asking, is that, uh, you know, Bach or who is that? Which great German composer is this? And there's this real contrast between beauty and ugliness. And that happens in both of these films as well. In fact, in the cave, we have, you know, the presence of classical music and the aesthetic qualities of the film. I think just like you're saying, Valerie, will really impress. I mean, these can be very beautiful films, but that beauty disappears frequently as we see as well the ugliness of the human existence. Yeah, it's, and there's this sort of horrifying element to the fact that Dr. Salim, who's like one of the doctors in the cave, uses classical music, plays it on his cell phone because he doesn't have anesthetic for the people that he's performing surgery on. And so they set the music up the same way that they set the instruments up for surgery. It's an important part of of the surgery he's going to perform because he needs his patients to be thinking about the music instead of thinking about what they're going through. And he tries to teach the other doctors about music. And then the cell phone gets repeated over and over again in the film when these individuals who are doctors working in the cave, at least as far as we can tell in the film, they're there all the time and they are trying to communicate with the outside world, with their families who are somewhere else, who are distant and away from them using the same cell phones. And they're getting their news about what's going on in the war by listening to English language news reports on their cell phones. And so that that kind of thing gets repeated, the, the image of the cell phone and the, the information and the beauty that it can bring to them, and also the sort of jarring juxtaposition, I mean, what that beauty means, why why it's there and why they're using it. You mentioned the beauty and the contrast with the the really hard, harsh reality that the, the people in the cave and in Zena are living through. In contrast, Papicha is a beautiful, colorful film. It doesn't mean that hard things don't happen, but the main character is a dressmaker. She's a fashion designer. So you can imagine her drawings and what she's creating. It is a very creative film. It is full of colors and fabrics and jewelry. And it's carried like this with the creativity of of this young woman. And the ugliness comes at the end when everything, and this is a big spoiler. So if you have not seen it, maybe you just turn my voice down for a few seconds. But the end is a real tragedy where with forced violence, the beauty and the fun of life is stopped short and killed, literally killed. So I I just wanted to bring that too as well, because that's another point that Papicha has in common with our films this week. 
that beauty is very important and the creativity of of these women specifically is life itself. You know, I uh, just uh, taught a a poem by Pablo Neruda in one of my classes, and it's called Explico Algunas Cosas, or I am explaining a few things. And in this poem, the poetic voice explains why uh, his poetry that used to focus on the beautiful things of life had to change. And there's a moment in the poem where the poetic voice says, Venida ver la sangre por las calles, or come and see the blood in the streets. Right. And I think that all three of these films probably have a similar quality in the sense that uh, they want to recognize the beauty of the world around us. But they are also films that that witness that testify to the horror of the blood in the streets. Right. That sometimes we have to tell difficult stories. And these films all do that in their own way. Well, thank you both for this wonderful conversation with you about resilience, the beauty of life, really, and solidarity that uh, all themes that we've seen in those films this week. We're grateful for all of you for joining us today on From the Booth. Every week this semester, specialists and film lovers alike discuss the films streaming at IC on our podcast. So please tune in. To get access to the film streaming at IC this semester, please visit our website at ic.byu.edu and follow the link on the splash page to sign up with your current BYU NetID. Our podcast is produced by the International Cinema Program at BYU and supported by the BYU College of Humanities. We're solely responsible for the opinions and ideas expressed here as they do not represent any official position adopted by the university or its supporting institutions. We thank Johnny Stallings for the music and Dewey Walter, the producer of the podcast, and our sound engineer, Jojo Ekstrom Pratt, as well as the staff at the BYU Humanities Resource Center for their help and support. Until next week, keep streaming.